Thank you, Mr. James. Thank you, Miss Shirley. Shabbat Shalom. Got an antenna up here. Got my daughter on the front row. I just have a couple of points I wanna I kinda wanna address here real quick. Uh, and I feel like it's kind of a continuation of even what Miss Shirley gave last week. So if you weren't here for Miss Shirley's Zarash last week, it was awesome. So go and listen to it. It's recorded. <laughs> okay, let's just get right to it. 175 years. That was the lifespan of this man we called Father Abraham, the man of faith, the friend of God, right? This portion, it, this Torah portion, it concludes the story of his, uh, his long, difficult, promise-filled, awe-inspiring, and miracle-filled life, now complete. His body now laid to rest next to his beautiful wife, Sarah, in the, caves, or in the fields of Ephron, in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in Hebron. His story comes to a close. But quite obviously, his story lives on. His sons, through Isaac and Jacob, become the great nation of Israel, the covenant people. His other son, Ishmael, too, becomes a great nation. Their stories are continually intertwined and still being told to this day, right? And we, too, who are called Gentiles by birth, we're a part of this story, too. And so as Jews and Gentiles, we come together as a part of this story. How? Simple. We all know it, right? Abraham, he trusted. He believed. He had faith, and if we walk in that way, we become his children, right? And that's a pretty simple biblical principle, <laughs> right? But I think it's something so simple about it, but it's so true. And if Abraham were standing here today, I think his message would be the same. And it would be something like this, maybe. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep trusting in him. There were a few times in Abraham's life where things looked a little bit bleak, right? And we, we, if we look at the story, it's a, it's a bit of an interesting one. Let's just give a few examples. The first being, he picked up and left everything he knew at 75 years old, right? Miss Shirley kind of alluded to some of that last week. It was pretty funny. <laughs> or how about, how about getting his wife taken twice by a king? I mean, that's a bit ridiculous, right? Or then, remember... <laughs> When the Lord came to him and said, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a son. You're 99 years old, but you're going to have a son when you're 100 years old. Think about that. Can you imagine one? I mean, having kids, I have two little ones, right? But I can't imagine having kids at 99 or 100 years old. That sounds exhausting, <laughs> right? So, like, like, take, okay, just practical example. Take Billy Graham, for example. Dude turned 99 on Wednesday. Right? I mean, that's a big deal. That's pretty fun. Right? But check this out. What if Abraham, or what if the Lord came to the Billy Graham and said, hey, Billy, get ready. You're going to have a son. Not yet. This time next year, you're going to have a son. Billy Graham would be like, are you? <laughs> After all I've done? Really? Right? But then Abraham, uh, it goes further. He said, God said you're going to be the father of nations through your son Isaac. But then he says, go kill your son. Take his life. Really? How does that fit? doesn't make any sense. 
But he didn't give up. He kept fighting, and he trusted in him. That's why he's called the father of our faith. He believed what God said, and it was a credit to him as righteousness. Abraham knew that God's timing was different. Even though it seemed off, God would, uh, would accomplish exactly what he said he would do. I feel like I talk about this all the time to myself, to my small group, and I gave a teaching about this like a, about a year ago about God's timing. His timing is not our own, and it applies to us. It continually applies to us. His timing isn't our timing, but it's not an excuse for us to quit. One of my favorite passages about Yeshua lately is the story of Jairus' daughter in uh, uh, Luke 8. I'm just going to read the story because it's so good. If you want to turn there, you can. Luke 8, 40. As Yeshua returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And there came a man named Jairus a leader in the synagogue, falling at Yeshua's feet. He begged him to come to his house because his only daughter, about 12 years old, was dying. But as he made his way, masses were crushing in upon him. There was a woman with, with a blood flow for 12 years who could not be healed by anyone. She came up from behind and touched the tzitzit of Yeshua's garment. Immediately, her blood flow stopped. Yeshua said, who touched me? When everyone denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and pressing in. But Yeshua said, Someone touched me, for I recognize the power going out from me. Then seeing that she did not escape unnoticed, the woman came trembling and fell prostrate before him. In the presence of all the people, she confessed why she had touched him and how she had been healed. Immediately, he said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in shalom. While he was still speaking, someone comes from the house of the synagogue leader saying, your daughter has died. Don't bother the teacher anymore. But hearing this, Yeshua replied to him. Can you imagine this? Do not fear. Just keep trusting. And she shall be restored. When Yeshua came to the house, he didn't let anyone enter except Peter, John, and Jacob, and the father and the mother of the child. And everyone was weeping and lamenting her. But he said, don't weep, for she didn't die, but she's sleeping. And they were ridiculing him, knowing she had died. But Yeshua took her by the hand and called out, saying, child, get up. Her spirit returned. She rose immediately. Yeshua ordered food for her to be given to her. Her parents were utterly astonished, but he ordered them not to say uh, anything of what had happened. Amazing story, right? Jairus had a bit of a sense of urgency, don't you think? He was like, my daughter's dying. I got to go, go get this guy. He's the miracle man. He's the one that can do this. I got to go get him. If there was any cause for hurrying up, sorry, Dallas Willard, but this is it, right? <laughs> I'm glad you guys got that. that was, uh, <laughs> but Yeshua, and obviously Dallas knew Yeshua well, Yeshua went at his steady, strong powerful pace. He wasn't rushed. He wasn't in a hurry. He paused and he changed a woman's life. And then he went on his way. But then there's a dramatic turn. The girl dies. Oh no, Yeshua, you messed up. She's dead. Story over, right? No. He continued calmly at his steady, strong, powerful pace. He comes into the scene of, of morbid grieving in utter confidence. She's not dead. She's just sleeping. His time frame is not our time frame. He stands outside of our time frame. 
steady, strong, and powerful. This is our encouragement from Abraham and from Yeshua. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Keep trusting in him. We must hold fast to the one who holds all the power in the world, right? And then I I kind of have a part two, okay? So we must hold fast to this, to keep trusting in him. We must hold fast. Well, we must hold fast in other ways too. There's a second layer to it. I'm sure all of you are well aware of the tragedy that happened last Sunday in Texas, right? On the National Day of Prayer for the persecuted church, a gunman walks into a Texas church and massacres the people, leaving dead and wounded in his wake, right? Tragedy, tragedy, absolute tragedy. In the wake of this tragedy, a lot of people took to social media to try to encourage people, to pray for people, to post how we're with you, we're standing with you, we're praying for you. Others, however, took to social media and began the mockery of God and of prayer. I was astonished at the things that I read. Immediately following the tragedy, people were getting on and saying, where's the God you serve? Looks like prayer's working real well for you. I don't know if you guys saw this, but this is immediately following. It's insane. Insanity. Right? I was aghast. The mockery rose to a climax when I saw a, uh, uh, a uh, article that Dr. Michael Brown put out. He had a, a like, couple reasons why it just got crazy. But he, he posted this thing that somebody posted in response to one of his comments about uh, the massacre. I don't You guys know, are you familiar with the Chick-fil-A ads with the, the cows holding up the signs that say, eat more chicken? I don't know if you saw this, but somebody had posted a, uh, a picture just like that with lions holding cryptic messages that said, eat more Christians. America. Yeah, it's getting that way. You believe that? In the wake of people getting murdered in cold blood. It's just ridiculous. Dr. Brown said in his article, he said that this is the fruit of the harsh and condescending new atheism. So wake up. There's a new atheism. God is not simply to be rejected. He's to be mocked and ridiculed as are his followers. This is what's on the rise. So this is our challenge. This is what we must hold fast to. We must not shrink back. We must not say, oh, this is, this is, this is hard. This is too much. I can't do this. No, it's our time to stand up, to raise up, to grow in prayer and in trust rather than saying, yeah, you're probably right. Prayer doesn't work. You know why there's a mockery of prayer? Because the enemy knows that prayer is one of the most powerful things that the people of God have. When we come together in humble prayer, when we come together in humble prayer, the power of God is released. That's a fact. It's in scripture. It's not just a biblical principle that sounds right. It's reality. It's true. So we must not give up. We must keep fighting. We must keep trusting in him. As followers of Messiah, we must dig in and trust in the one who was and is and is to come. And we must pray that his kingdom would come. These are the things that we must hold fast to. We do not have another option. Shabbat shalom.